0: And obviously, we're here to talk about mainly the S3B Viking, a fascinating aircraft. Uh, So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, Laurie, yeah, like, how did your transition from that support squadron go on to the Viking? And, yeah, what, what were your first thoughts of that aircraft? It's a beautiful aircraft.
1: It is, you know, the S3V gets, uh, it, in naval aviation, you know, there's like this hierarchy and the fighter guys think they're the coolest and everyone, th- oh. you know, when you're, when you're a student naval aviator, to be fair, everyone wants to fly, you know, when, when I was going through, everyone wanted to fly either the Hornet or the Tomcat. And, you know, so that was the top choice. A6s were the next choice. EA6Bs and S3s were kind of side by side. So, um right. You know, and it's ridiculous. It's kind of silly, um, but that's you know, I, I think that's just kind of the the feeling coming out of flight training, where you just you know, you always want to be um, doing the the coolest stuff. And and um, but the S three Viking, and I think actually Sunshine was on your podcast earlier. It and- was yes that joke about how, you know, we always joke that the S3 had tinted windows so that your friends can't see you flying it. But, <laughs> yeah.
0: um,
1: but it's not really fair because I the S3 was such a fun jet to fly. And um, when I first got the orders, you know, when they when they lifted the ban um, and I got the orders, I was, um, you know, I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it because I, I was... I just assumed that if the or if the ban was lifted i'd stay in transitional hornets but um there were already a few women flying hornets who had a many more flight hours than i had and they didn't have any female pilots in the s3 pipeline and right. so and you know i had had some challenges at the hornet squadron and i you know i don't think they wanted me to come back <laughs> so um i got the um orders to fly the s3b viking and I, you know, when I showed up there, I, um, the commanding officer of the squadron always welcomes the, the new pilots. And, um, when I talked with him, he, you know, I started saying, you know, sir, I don't, I don't know if you heard anything about my, some of the challenges I had at the Hornet squadron, but, and I didn't even get to finish the sentence. And he's like, look, Lieutenant Drowdy, all I care about is how you do here. And, you know, we're going to make sure that, uh, we make sure that all of our pilots are successful and we're gonna make sure that you're successful too. So whatever happened in the past is the past, I don't care about it. You're in my squadron now and you know, you're know you one of my students, we're gonna make sure that you figure this out. And I'm like, cool. So, cause all I really That's wanted awesome. was just a fair chance. And um, and I got that at the S3 squadron, so.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. What was the initial role of the S3 and what was the role when you joined uh, the, uh, the the platform?
1: It was originally designed for anti-submarine warfare, and it, uh, you know, as the Cold War ended and then um, the the nuclear submarine threats were really being managed more by our own submarine fleet, as well as uh, land-based platforms like the P3 Orion. Um, yeah. Over time, that mission t- transitioned for the S3s to more of a, a sea control mission. But for my first deployment, we did carry torpedoes we did do anti-submarine warfare i flew with a full crew which meant um a kotak so an nfo naval flight officer sitting to my right Mm -hmm. Um, and then a taco a tactical coordinator who's a naval flight officer and then a senso which is a sensor operator who is an enlisted air crewman those two would sit in the back and they would listen you know if we had dropped sauna buoys they'd listen to the sauna buoys they'd be working the radar to see if we can spot periscopes so we did do anti-submarine warfare missions on my first deployment which was in 1995 but on my second deployment we didn't do any asw by that point it had there really wasn't a lot of asw to do (laughs) you know We, we, um, really were focused more on doing, um, organic refueling for all the other jets in the air wing. And we also did sea control missions. So we'd go out and fly around, um, you know, we could go hundreds of miles away from the carrier and check out surface targets that might be difficult to pick up on radar. Um, we could identify those. We could go identify the flags and ports of call from, um, uh, from like big tankers and, um, supply ships and things like that so really our mission transitioned over time but originally it was anti-submarine warfare.
0: Brilliant stuff and what was the aircraft like to like start training on like ground training and flying training was it like uh, like again like a a jump a a completely different but mindset from the Hornets and how did you feel about that?
1: It it was in the sense of, um, you know, now, now I have a crew I have to coordinate with. <laughs> so yes. like, I, you know, I'm not doing all the talking on the radio anymore. And I'm, I'm working with my navigator to figure out where we're going. And so that I actually really liked, you know, I like being part of a team. So, uh, that, that was different and we had simulators. So again, you know, we start off in the classroom and then we moved to the simulators and then we moved to the aircraft and it was, um, uh, like carrier qualifications in the S3, th- that's the first time when you actually get to your um, jet that you're flying in the fleet, that's the first time you do night carrier landings. and oh, night. Right. Carry- okay. So you don't do that when you're a student naval aviator. Right. Um, so uh, I remember the first time I went out to land on the carrier at night and you know the S3 um, fleet replacement squadron, FRS squadron, it used to be called the RAG um, uh, replacement air group something like that anyway um it was a you know it's located in san diego it was located in san diego and so we got really lucky on my night carrier qualifications we went out and i had an instructor nfo with me in the cockpit because um the s3b is um flown with a pilot and an, an nfo um minimum minimum two people sometimes we had four But we flew out to, um, I don't remember which carrier we did our qualifications on, but it was like what we call a commander's moon. You know, the moon was bright. There was a nice horizon. You know, it was just like a a slightly darker version than daytime landings. (laughs) So (laughs) I joked with my instructor, I'm like, I, this isn't that hard like I don't know what the, y'all are talking about this isn't that bad and then oh my god once I got to the fleet and Uh-oh. started having to land at night where there's no horizon and horrible weather and you know the flight deck is moving around because the ship's going through seas it's like oh okay I fight my turn
0: <laughs> eat those words <laughs> absolutely so yeah what was it like working with a like a, a four man crew or you know like did you talk to each other or did everyone know their job so you just got with it, or was it like, you know, John? What what's happening back here? You know that kind of thing.
1: It's definitely both. So we always brief before our flights. And as the pilot, I'm normally the one running the brief, and Mm -hmm. we're talking about expectations for the flight. So what am I going to say if something happens? What can you, so everyone in the crew knows what to expect to hear from me if something happens, you know, for the major emergencies. Mm -hmm. And um, so we brief those, and then we brief what we're gonna be doing on the mission. We make sure everyone is clear about what their roles are on the mission. And then when we go out and fly, it's, you know, we're all up on the um, intercom within the jet talking with each other and it's you know so there is continual communication happening as we're flying um, it is yeah i you know typically especially with a four-person crew it's unusual for there to be silence because everyone's you know talking with each other trying to figure out what's going on um, especially if you're like prosecuting a submarine um or if we're trying to identify a surface target we have to have that communication happening. So um, so it was, a, a, I would say, a mixture of both pre-planned and set expectations for who was going to do what and, and who's going to say what, mm-hmm. as well as real-time communications.
0: So can you talk us through a typical day on the carrier as an S, uh, S, S3 uh, crew? Like, what was that like, you know, waking up and to going to bed? Was it like, uh, was it nonstop? <sighs>
1: You know, it, it kind of depended on the day, but I would say a typical day when we're on deployment is um, aviators are, are lucky in the sense that um, since we fly fairly late into the evening, sometimes, you know, I wouldn't get up until like maybe eight in the morning, I'd go grab breakfast in the wardroom, which is where officers eat. And then um, I would go to the ready room and the ready room was like the central place for the squadron where we brief our flights. And um where we hang out you know it's kind of the social center as well for the aviators of a squadron and then you know I always had a ground job so I you know once I think during my first deployment I had all of the um men in the squadron that was my division so I'd go down and check the AOs a- the rating so I'd go down checking with the AOs see how things were going if they needed anything um And then, you know, back up to the ready room, hang out um, until it was time to brief for a flight. So typically on deployment, we'd fly once, maybe twice during the day. Um, And then, you know, in between flights, you grab something to eat, um, do your ground job, check in on your troops again, and then head back out and fly in the evening. And then when you got back, Almost always, you know, people would stay up late for mid-rats or midnight rations because typically that meant pizza, which was good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Or the Kitty Hawk made the best grilled cheeses I've ever had in my life. So, you know, stay up late for that and then go to to sleep after that. But um, I was also a landing signals officer. So on the days when I was doing that duty, I did not fly. And those were actually the longest days because I was up on the flight deck from the first recovery. So the first time um, airplanes were coming in to land to the very last recovery. And that could be, you know, a 14 hour day, 16 hour day. And then even after the last plane recovered, we still had to go down to the the space where the computers were, where we kept all the grades and have to enter all the grades. In. And so it was, They were really long days, but they were very fulfilling. Like I really enjoyed my duties as a LSO. It was um, that was a, a really fun team to be a part of.
0: Yeah, let's talk about your time as an LSO. Like so, obviously, land and S- signal officer. Is that correct? Yes. For our viewers out there, so would you be out there with like the Hornet guys, the Tomcat guys, or was it like types uh, specific?
1: Yeah. So every squadron had um, a couple of LSOs and typically I think three. And that way we could rotate and every squadron would always have an LSO up there if your airplane was landing. And then typically, even if you didn't have um, an airplane from your squadron landing, you'd be up there anyway, just to help support the team. So, um, so there were every, you know, every squadron's LSO one LSO from every squadron would be up on the LSO platform as part Mm -hmm. of the recovery. And, um, you know, when you start off as an LSO, you typically are what we call waving. You are, and the reason we call that waving is, is because way back in the day, um, LSOs would literally stand on the back end of the aircraft carrier, um, holding these paddles that look like ping pong paddles. (laughs) Um, and they would, so that the pilots coming into land could see the signals from um, that pilot, and they would react to whatever the LSO was telling them to do. Because um, LSOs, and when you're looking at an, an aircraft coming into land at the carrier, you can see the energy state on the aircraft, Um like a split second faster, um, sometimes a little more faster than that, than the pilot can see it because, you know, the pilot's dealing with a lot of stuff altogether in the cockpit. And so LSOs are there for safety. Um, And so we call it waving because we used to wave paddles around um, to signal the pilot. So on the days that um, we're waving, when you start out as an LSO, you start waving your own aircraft type. So jets from your own squadron. and, And then you start Learning how to wave other jet aircraft as well, and a lot of it is just it's on the job training. You're you're standing there, you know, watching landings after landings, and and you're um, hearing the grades that the LSOs are giving to those landings, and you're and you're starting to understand the connections. So there is an LSO school that um, I went to, but it wasn't after it wasn't until after I had been waving on my first deployment um, that I got to go do that. More specialized training, kind of like graduate school for
0: LSOs. <laughs> Absolutely, and um, so like on a carrier deck, uh, would you, like, you guys and the the Viking community, like would you mix socially with the, you know the Tomcat guys, the Hornet guys, the Year Seven guys? How would that mix, like you know when you go to the canteen or whatever, or would that even happen?
1: Oh, definitely. No, um, we definitely mix. So. Um, you know, the airway, so the air wing is composed of all of the squadrons. So you know, we had the S3 squadron, we had a couple of Hornet squadrons. On my first deployment, we had um, uh, an A6 squadron, then the Tomcat squadron. So all the squadrons are part of the air wing and um we you know before we deploy we do training exercises together so uh we we're getting to know each other professionally on the aircraft carrier but then we when we pull into port um during liberty it's just we typically run into each other in town and there is definitely um you know socializing that's happening um lots of good nature rivalry <laughs> drinking things like that so and also um When I was on deployment and we'd pull into Jebel Ali in the Persian Gulf, we'd go into Dubai, and back then, um, Dubai wasn't like how it is now. There really were. Oh my gosh, it was it was. There were only a couple of hotels that were nice where we, you know, we we'd all pitch in and get a nice suite um, where we can have have as our central, you know, liberty headquarters, and um, so a lot of times pretty much all the squadrons were in the same hotel. So um, there definitely was socializing. And, and then we always – the air wing has a thing called Fauxhall Follies, which is um, – maybe about twice during a deployment, the whole squadron, uh, the whole air wing gets together in the foc'sle of the aircraft carrier. So it's a little bit of an open space, not as big as like the hangar, hangar um, bay in the aircraft carrier, but it's enough where you can fit in um, all the all the aviators. And we basically just do skits that make fun of each other. (laughs) So (laughs) um, some some people would sing, you know, songs and it, it was really fun. So, yeah,
0: that sounds awesome. Uh but uh, before we get up like onto uh, the personal questions here um Laurie what would you say the strengths and weaknesses are of the S3
1: Oh gosh well the strength is um it can stay afloat forever, which is also kind of a little bit of a weakness when it, when it comes to landing the plane, because it just does not want to come down. Um, so the strength was that you could, you know, the S3 could go out on station for a long time. Um, it, it didn't burn gas as quickly as, you know, like a fighter jet. Um, and it had, um, you know, the four person crew was great for doing anti-submarine warfare missions for surface, um, uh missions or a surface or sea control um you know two people was pretty much uh that was enough but so strengths oh the other strength is that the s3 has in the back of the jet there's actually a little bit of, it's a tunnel we called it the tunnel where a lot of the equipment for the radars and um uh, to access um you know different equipment you could actually stand back there and so oh. One of the strengths is the s3 was a great cross-country jet because you could throw bicycles back there you could throw skis back there golf clubs <laughs> I mean, so that was really nice
0: <laughs> very um, nice
1: yeah it didn't really come into play on the aircraft carrier but um for cross-country flights that was great uh and then the weakness you know it was subsonic it um wasn't the the sexiest looking jet <laughs> but i you know who cares
0: it could be um, it, uh, it could be the C2 so that could be where <laughs> uh,
1: <yeah. laughs> no i mean the S3 honestly it was such a great jet to fly it was really versatile it was forgiving it was um you know and it still was very nimble um we did aerobatics we you know we did um actually this gets me back to the D S E T. yes <laughs> so when i first um read that i in in um, our S3 training, we did a flight called, um, what was it? Uh, I think it was like defensive combat maneuvering. Oh, DCM, that's it, defensive combat maneuvering. Because basically, if we're up and someone's going to come shoot at us, the only defense we really have is to try to get as slow as possible <laughs> so yeah. and, and then get the hell out of there, right? So um, So we didn't do aerial combat maneuvering. We did defensive combat maneuvering. So we learned how to, you know, pop out, chaff, flares, and run. <laughs> so that was basically what we did. But um, in between my my first deployment and my second deployment, we did uh, the RIM of the Pacific exercises, rim Pack. And so on one of our missions, we took off and we had simulated um, Zuni rockets that we would carry um, in case we encountered any surface contacts. But um a p3 was uh posing as a russian um, electronic surveillance aircraft and by luck because we don't have an air-to-air radar we found the p3 and and so i um (laughs) i rolled in behind the p3 and and they were on the same radio frequency you know to coordinate the exercises and we told them we said something like Fox 2, um, meaning that we were <laughs> shooting missiles at them. And and the, <laughs> they came up on the radio and they're like, say again, <laughs> like, what is this S3 doing? And um, we're like, hey, we we have Zuni rockets, so we're shooting you down. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, because they're just going to go back to Hawaii and, you know, go to the officer's club and have a beer. Like, okay, yeah, go home, no problem. But everyone was so excited. we're Like, we got the first S3 air-to-air kill. So someone That's painted awesome. a P3 on the side of our jet. And
0: <laughs> that's awesome. That's,
1: yeah, the, the that's, S3 was not uh, an air-to-air combat platform.
0: But it's still a beauty. I have to say that. It's still a beauty, guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, how many hours did you get on the Viking, uh, Laurie? Oh, gosh. Um, I think about 1,400,
1: uh, nice. 1,300, 1,400. I have about 1,600 flight hours altogether from the Navy. Um, so I think about 1,300, 1,400 of that was in the S3.
0: Tell us what happened after your Navy career.
1: Yeah, so after the Navy, um, you know, I was debating most of the, so after I deployed, I went to, um, I went back to the S3 um, FRS, Fleet Replacement Squadron as an instructor. And that was really fun because I got to um, teach aviators how to land the S3B on an aircraft carrier. So that meant I got to go out and do a bunch of daytime carrier landings. but when that was finished, you know, I'd been in for ten years, and so it was a tough decision because I, I really enjoyed my naval service, but I also kind of felt like I'd been in the military for my entire life, having grown up in the in the military as well, and I also wanted to have kids, and I, you know, at that point, I, I had a hard time. Um, I thought it would be really tough to have to deploy, and I have so much respect for the parents that do that. Um, so I, all the other instructor pilots were going to the airlines, but that, even though I love flying that, like they all, they always talked about how to fly the least, like, how do, how do you work the schedule so that you work the least? And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that either. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going to business school and because I had always really enjoyed my division officer jobs and, um, you know, leading divisions and. I thought well maybe this this might be something that's more in line with my strengths of things that i i like doing so after business school i um went to silicon valley and worked in tech for about 20 years um started off as a management consultant, and then moved into mostly marketing and operations jobs within uh, with startups, and then a couple of, of tech companies, including Google. And my last job was at Meta. And now I'm an executive coach, and a public speaker. And so I support leaders and help them with being resilient in dealing with change. So uh, lots to do these days, for sure.
0: So as I mentioned there, yeah, you're like, everyone's mentioned to me in the comments, you're Edinburgh Shore. So tell me where this came from, Laurie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I love writing. So that's, um, I actually, I wrote a book um, about my first deployment. And that was published in 2000 by the Naval Institute Press. It's called She's Just Another Navy Pilot. And I wanted to, to share what it's like to live on an aircraft carrier. And then, you know, it was also the first west coast deployment with women in combat aviation squadron so that was a unique perspective that i was lucky to be a part of so i really enjoyed that writing process and over the years i kept doing some writing just on the side and i had been attending some writing workshops and the stories that i wrote that had anything to do with the navy were always the ones where um, the other people in the group would be like oh tell us more about that like because most people don't get to live on an aircraft carrier or or fly jets in the navy and so um so i pulled a bunch of these stories together and the woman who runs the workshops um beth dunnington had uh helped another writer pull her stories together to make a one woman show. And I thought this actually could be an interesting one woman show. Um, I had done theater in high school and in college, and I'd even done some community theater in flight school. And so I was comfortable with being up on a stage, but, um, you know, I'd never written an entire play. (laughs) So, uh, so I worked with her and um, created this one woman show that talks about um, how women were integrated into Naval aviation, into, um, combat squadrons in the 90s and what um, our experience was like on the Lincoln, you know, from my point of view. um, And then really, you know, where we are today and how far we've come and how far we haven't come over the 30 years that women have been flying in combat squadrons in the military. So uh, I did do the performance in Edinburgh last year, uh, 23 times. So it was, (laughs) uh, oh my gosh, it was really fun though. I I loved meeting the audiences after and you know they were incredibly supportive and then i just finished um a solo festival here in new york city so awesome. so i don't know what's next for the show at this point you know i think i'm just going to um focus on my coaching and speaking work for a little while but it was really you know an honor to be able to represent that period of time and the other women that i served with and the other men as well and so i hope maybe you know i'll do it again in the future
0: so watch this space i guess <laughs> yes <laughs> But also, you've got a new book out called uh, "Saw Into Joy. Where did this come from, Laurie?
1: That came from um, lessons that I've learned um, from the Navy, from working in Silicon Valley for 20 years and also f- uh, from a lot of the work that I do now with executives and leaders and um, you know, around coaching them as leaders as well as life coaching and my first book was really more this is what it's like to live on an aircraft carrier or to fly in the navy the second book is more around this is what i've learned and this is what's helped me live what i find is a very fulfilling life like i feel really um you know i'm not happy 100 percent of the time but i do feel like i'm doing things that i care about and that i'm honoring my values in the life that i'm leading so um so i wanted to share that in hopes that it will inspire somebody else you know who might need a little bit of inspiration i've always found that uh, for me i love reading and so um i have a huge library of books many of which have helped me and i've i have found inspiration from so uh, i'm hoping to just you know pay that forward
0: Brilliant stuff. So, so before we get into uh, a couple of more personal questions, and uh, we've got a, a few questions from uh, uh, one of our Patreons, uh, where can we find the books and yourself online?
1: Yes, um, the books are on amazon.com. So if you search under my name, the book should pop up. And I also have a website, lauriedrowdy.com. And that's, you know, my all in one website for speaking for the books for the show as well. There are links uh, to the play also. So it's probably the easiest place online. And then on social media on Instagram, my uh, Instagram profile is Lori droughty, all one word. And I'm also on LinkedIn. And that's pretty much. I don't really do Twitter or X anymore, um, and Threads. I, you know, I have a profile in there, but I really don't use it. So mostly, if you want to find me, I'm on Instagram. I do have a Facebook page as well for my business and my website.
0: Bring the stuff, and they'll be linked in the descriptions uh, below, guys. So, but we got a question from one of our patrons, uh, Joe Kunzler. We've got a couple of here, Laurie. Uh, awesome. Did you ever get to use real or training weapons on the Viking?
1: um we never had to you know quote drop a bomb in anger so actually um release any weapons with the intent of destroying something um we did fly we did train for that um we when when i was on deployment we always carried two mark 82 bombs in case we had to do any kind of surface target prosecution um my first deployment we carried torpedoes um so we did carry them. We did train for them, but thankfully, I never had to um, actually use them.
0: Great stuff. Good LSO story from Jochen again.
1: Oh gosh, um, I think when <laughs> when I first started waving, when I first you know was doing LSO training, um, one of the pilots in the F-14 squadron. Um, Paco <laughs> Chirici, he Oh yeah, I've um,
0: interviewed him. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you probably know the story from my book, but um, he he was like a big brother to me, and he. Um, you know, I came up to the platform one day and we, you know, it was, I don't know if it's digital now, but back then it was all paper, you know, you write in a book with a pencil, with a pencil, because a lot of times things would be adjusted a little bit. Um, And I, you know, came up to the LSO platform and I had this pencil that, you know, I'm a creative person. It was very colorful. It had, I don't know, you know, pink reds yellows who knows but um, Paco saw that and he just grabbed it out of my hand and snapped it in half right in front of me and like threw it overboard and i was like what he's like you know we use standard issue pencils here not these you know ridiculous girly pencils i'm like Fine. So well, the next troll day, on the top. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. With the fuzzy hair. <laughs> yeah. God, oh, I wish I'd had one of those. Um, of course, the next day I, I went back up with another one, with another <laughs> pencil, and you know he laughed and then grabbed it and broke it in half and threw it overboard, and we both laughed about it. I was like, okay, so he knows that you know I've I. I can take it. And um, I know that he means business, that we're going to stick to the standards of uh, standard issue military pencils, but I just, I really always appreciated that um, camaraderie and that joking around. And um, yeah, so that was one of the reasons why I really enjoyed being
0: an LSO. That's brilliant. And last one from Joe, Viking or Hornet and why? Man, (laughs) not my question, (laughs) Jules.
1: God, um, well, I mean, I guess the it's tough to just give a blanket answer to that because there were some things about the Hornet that were awesome. I mean, it's just an incredible platform to fly. Um, it just you know, such a fun jet. Um, I found the community to be a little bit more challenging to, um, be accepted into whereas the s3 community was very welcoming and um supportive and it was a great jet to fly so I'm gonna have to say s three
0: there you go And um, one from me which aircraft would you like to fly either past or present
1: oh gosh um probably the f14 tomcat I never got to fly in a tomcat never you know um it, it was it's kind of tough to get a ride in a tomcat because you know, it's a oh, really Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, that's one of the only jets. Well, that and an A6, it would have been really cool to fly in the A6 as well. Um, but, uh, that was, you know, when I, when the ban was lifted, A6s were already, they knew that their, their days were numbered. (laughs) So, um, so they, I don't know if they, I think maybe one woman had transitioned over to fly A6s, but, um, I, that would have been a really cool jet to fly as well, but I didn't get to, yeah.
0: That's pretty cool. And before we wrap up, I'll just uh, a quick question. Did you ever get to fly with the RAF or any other like European nations?
1: No, no. You know, when we did RIMPAC, we did, um, I think we flew with the Japanese and maybe like the Australian Navy, but we, uh, I don't think we ever got to fly with any of the European um, nice. Air Forces or navies. so no.
0: Well, well, there you go but you it sounds like you've had an absolutely amazing career Laurie and uh, everything will be linked in the description but Laurie thanks very much for coming on the show it's been an absolute pleasure
1: you're welcome I had a great time too thanks Mike
0: cheers